up, Big Sal. Amen, amen. Hey, listen, uh, I got a couple of announcements for you guys, a couple things I want to make sure everybody knows uh, before we get into everything tonight. Uh, obviously, we got small groups tomorrow, so make sure you are here uh, for your small groups. Uh, but again, I want to reiterate, you just saw a little snippet of it. Um, right now, our registration for Spring Breakaway is wide open. Um, you know, I was kind of, uh, well, I'll get into this in a little bit, but uh, I, was, I was really just what's the term, uh, impressed and uh, proud and excited uh, because we had somebody register today and um, I was just like, what? And so Isaiah, where are you? Isaiah, stand up for me real quick. Isaiah registered today for Spring Breakaway. <laughs> Isaiah, come here real quick. Come here. I know you're getting embarrassed. Come here real quick. I ain't trying to embarrass you, bro, but I'm proud of you. Hey, tell them, tell them who paid for your Spring Breakaway. Me. How long, how long did it take you to raise that money? A year. And you spent all your money to go to Spring Breakaway? How much you got left of your money? Uh, $15. Oh, come on, bro. $15, bro. I believe God's going to multiply that. Thank you, bro. Hey, you know what he asked his mom after that, or what he asked his uncle? He goes, how much is momentum? Because it's going to take me a year to save up for momentum. But here's what I love. Isaiah is literally the youngest guy in our group. But he didn't let any excuse. He saved up his birthday money, his Christmas money, any little cash that came in. Because his greatest gift this year is he wants to go to Spring Breakaway. And I'm like, yeah, it's awesome, right? I just, I'm so proud of you, bro. That's such an awesome thing because you are investing in the kingdom. We spend money on so many other things, right? We spend money on so much stuff like junk food that's just going to turn into poop a few hours later. And he is investing in his spiritual walk because it knows that it's going to have a magnifying effect on his life years after. And so, listen, I don't want to hear any excuses from anybody. If an 11-year-old can raise that money within a year, then you guys should have an opportunity to figure it out. But again, we will never let money be a reason why you can't go. All, what I love about the fact that he raised his own money is now we have more money to give to somebody who's in a real desperate situation or somebody new who's maybe their family doesn't want to pay for it, but we can say, hey, listen, it's okay. We'll cover it as long as you let them go. So, hey, I want to encourage you guys. Make sure you sign up. Do whatever you got to do to get there. I think it's going to be phenomenal, and I know it's going to be phenomenal now because of things like that. And so I want to encourage you to do that. Amen? So... I was sitting down today, uh, I hung out with a good friend of mine, um, one of my first students when I was an Excel leader, uh, he's a grown man now, he's got a wife and two houses, a great job living on the East Coast, and uh, he came, he's in town uh, with some family stuff that he was dealing with, and so he wanted to meet up and wanted to see the church, he hadn't seen the buildings and all that, everything that was built, and it was really cool kind of walking down memory lane with him, and uh, you know, just how proud I am of how much he's grown and, and him how proud of the consistency that I've had. And, you know, I was just his youth leader at one point and then I became the pastor and all these other great things that God has done in my life. And um, it was just this really cool moment to have. You know, throughout the years, you get a lot of people who don't make it, who don't stay consistent, who don't continue the walk. And it was great to see somebody continue the walk. And and even then, we had some questions about where he's at spiritually and what he needs to do. And, and it was really cool. And I started thinking about this idea of the long haul and, and making the journey. And, and here's one of the things. We've been talking about relationships and love the last few weeks. And I kind of want to tie it up in the end with something that we started with in the beginning. And that's your relationship with God. 
I think this is important in this understanding, and this is kind of what I want to focus in on tonight. There are a lot of people who understand what we just sang, that God loves us, right? Maybe don't accept it, maybe don't believe it, but they can understand it. And there are even more people who would claim, I love God. But tonight I want to ask you, do you love God completely? Because I think we love God a little bit, or we love God in certain ways, but maybe we don't love God completely. See, God desires above everything else for your love. If he has your love, then he has everything else. God wants your love more than your obedience, more than your money, more than your faith, more than your life. He desires your love. And that's why uh, Peter, when he had walked away from Jesus, if you read the story, you know, when Jesus gets captured and crucified, Peter runs away, denies Christ three times. He, he ends up going back to fishing, and Jesus goes to reinstate him. And when he reinstates, uh, reinstates Peter, he doesn't say, Peter, do you feel bad about what you did? Peter, do you promise you're never going to do that again? Peter, do you promise you're going to stay loyal for the rest of your life? He doesn't ask any of those things. Three times he asks this one question, do you love me? What is he saying? He's saying this is the priority right now. For those of you who want to follow God, for those of you who have an ambition to serve God, which, by the way, if there's anybody here who feels a call to missions, specifically you feel at some point God has called you to a life in missions or even to a life of supporting missions, talk to me afterward. My wife wants to put you on a prayer group that she's putting together. They're going to be praying um, I forgot specifically the region, but if you're interested in that, let me know. I want to get you in contact with her. But here's the deal. Even being part of that prayer group, that prayer doesn't matter if you don't love God and if you don't have a love for the things that God loves. Again, Jesus, when he reinstated Peter, he didn't ask him, do you feel bad about what you did? Do you promise not to do it again? Or do you promise you're going to be different? He just asked him, do you love me? And I love that he asked them three times because the Bible says that after the third time, Peter was hurt. See, because if somebody asks you something once, you answer it. If they ask you twice, it's a little weird, you answer again. But when they ask you the same question three times, you start to think, do you not believe me? I've already answered that twice. Why are you asking me a third time? You obviously don't believe what I'm saying. And I think the reason Peter was sad is because he felt that Jesus didn't believe that Peter loved him. But I think the reason Jesus was asking him is because Peter didn't love him the way Jesus wanted him to. See, Peter loved Jesus, but he hadn't loved him completely yet. And again, I think the problem is so many of us overcomplicate our Christian walk. We make it about what we do instead of why we do it. We make it about what we do instead of why we do it. And that's why you get frustrated being a Christian because if you don't love God, then everything about Christianity is difficult for you. Living for God feels restricting because you don't love him. When you love God completely, living him for him becomes easy. It becomes everything. See, if, if someone I don't like told me, I don't like the way that shirt looks on you, how many know I could care less what they just said to me? Immediately, I'm going to think about all the things that don't look good on them. I'm going to treat their lives, you know, I'm going to be like, I don't even like you. Why are you talking about me? But if my wife says, I don't like the way that shirt looks on you, I'm going to be like, why? Oh, it makes you look like this. Don't wear that shirt. On the outside, I'll be like, I'll wear what I want. But on the inside, I'll be like, I better wear a different shirt. Why? Because I love my wife. I trust my wife. I value my wife's opinion. 
Well, in the same way, when you love God and God calls you to live a certain way, it's not restricting. It's not like, ah, God doesn't want me to have fun. It's like, no, God cares about me more than anybody else on this planet. If God asks me to do anything, I trust the Lord. And I know that the Lord does it for my own good. See, again, if I didn't love my wife, then being married to her would be restricting. I used to have the whole bed to myself. Y'all know how great that is? You, please, those of you who get to have your own bed, enjoy it. I don't know who made up the rule that you got to share a bed with your spouse when you get married. But the first week, I rolled over and slapped her in the mouth because I forgot she was there. Right? I just didn't know. And my wife, she is so much smaller than me, but she takes up 90% of the bed. So every time I would just be balled up in a little corner, sometimes my butt would hang off the side of the bed and I'd wake up with a backache. I'm like, why are we sharing a bed, right? But I love her, so I do it. I used to spend money however I wanted, and now I can't. Now I got to call my wife, be like, hey, babe, can I get this one hot dog? <laughs> Now, am I restricted by her? Do I have? No, she's my wife. I want to make sure we're on the same page. I used to be able to plan my own schedule without worries. I just got a call today. Are you doing a retreat on this date? Yeah, it's in the calendar. Well, you know I don't look at the calendar. Why don't you tell me? Why would I put it in the calendar if you're not looking at it? Right? So there's moments where it's like, man, it's hard because we're in this relationship, but it's worth it because I love her. I love getting to plan life together with her. I love getting to be with her. I love getting to have all these opportunities with her. Now, apply the same thing with your relationship with Jesus. If you don't love Jesus completely, then being a Christian is very restricting to you. It's almost suffocating to you. You think that God's holding you back from having fun like everyone else. You treat reading your Bible like it's doing your homework. You're, you're embarrassed to show others what you believe in. Because honestly, you don't love God completely. Maybe you love God because he does stuff for you. Maybe you love God because at, at a certain moment in your life when you were going through some difficult times, you said a certain prayer and it felt better and, and, and in that moment you were good, but you didn't continue that relationship. So you liked God for who he was, but not for who he is to you. And here's an easy sign. You don't have to answer that within your own understanding. You can answer that within your own actions. If it's a drag to come here, you don't love God. If I could just be honest with you. Because I'm telling you from my own experience as a teenager. I had an opportunity to come and worship with people my age. Listen, I grew up in a church with 30 old ladies. Y'all know how happy I was to see somebody my age who loved Jesus. I was like, this is great, right? I got to, to, to read my word and, and express my heart and grow my relationship and challenge each other. I could not miss. I did not miss in my entire time at Excel. I missed one Thursday. And it wasn't because anybody forced me. It wasn't because the leaders kept calling me. Where are you? What are you doing? It was because I need to be there. I loved it so much. I needed other people to be there where I would rent my buddy's car and I would drive around the city. I had one friend who lived on Jackson and Pulaski. You know how scary it is to drop somebody off at Jackson to Pulaski after Excel? I used to just be like, dude, I'm going to open the door. You jump out. I ain't even stopping. Just tuck and roll, dude, because this your neighborhood is jacked. And my mom would, I'd get back from home, and it'd be 1130 at night, and I had to school night. My mom's yelling at me. Why are you doing that? Well, somebody got to take him to church, mom. <laughs> well, why has it got to be you? Because nobody else is doing it. <laughs> See, I didn't do it 
because anybody put a gun in my head or because I felt obligated. I love God. And I knew that he loves my friends. And I wanted people to experience that love. See, when you love God completely, you realize that God's not holding you back. He's holding you up. He's giving you true fulfillment. When you love God completely, reading your Bible isn't like doing your homework. It's like finding water in the desert. When you love God completely, you're not embarrassed to talk to others about Jesus. It just comes out of your mouth. Listen. The thing you love the most, the things you're more into than anything else, those are the things you talk about. It just flies out of your mouth. If you like sports, you're going to talk about sports. If you like fashion, you're going to talk about fashion. If you like a certain show, you're going to talk about that show. Where if you love Jesus, you're going to talk about Jesus. And if you've got to force yourself to do that, and maybe you don't love Jesus the way you think you do. See, this is what I'm talking about. When I say love completely, I don't mean you don't love God at all. I just mean you love God not as much as you think you do. And I think there is a, a greater fulfillment in loving God completely. And so the question tonight is, do you? Do you love God completely? And again, I think some of you would say yes. But I think if you take a moment and you really think about it, do you love God completely? Some of you might hesitate to agree. And for those of you who may not be sure... Let me explain what loving God completely looks like. If you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 28. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 28. It says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told them, do this and you will live. I want to talk about these four areas that Jesus describes that I believe loving completely is made up of. In order to love God completely, you have to love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, which is your physical body, and all your mind. If any of those areas fail, then you're no longer loving God completely. See, each of those areas are intertwined with each other. And so Jesus was saying to love him completely means to love God with your whole existence. Your whole existence can be summed up with heart, soul, strength, and mind. That makes up you. That is who you are. You are a physical being. You are an emotional being. You are a spiritual being. You are an intelligent being. These are the things that make you a human being. And so when I think about loving God completely, immediately as I thought about these four things, the, the movie that came to my heart, and I, and I like movies, so I tend to think about movies. The movie that came to my mind was The Wizard of Oz. Anybody ever seen The Wizard of Oz here? Raise your hand if you saw The Wizard of Oz. Good, good. Most of you have seen it. For those of you who didn't, it's a real simple story about a girl named Dorothy who uh, didn't like the situation she was in, didn't like what was going on, and she goes to sleep and a tornado hits and sweeps up her house and she lands in this place called Oz. And now she's got to figure out a way to get back home and along her journey, she meets three different characters. 
And I believe each of these characters embodies one of the aspects of loving God that you and I need to look at. If you'll notice that in order to reach her destination, she needed to find a heart, a soul, and a mind. And it was only when she could find all of those that she was able to successfully get back home. And so tonight I want to walk you through Dorothy's journey. And as we examine these areas, I want you to reflect on yourself. Do I love God with my entire soul? Does God have my heart? Does he have my mind? Have you found your scarecrow, your tin man, your lion? And so if we're taking notes, the first thing is this. First person she meets is the scarecrow. And the scarecrow has to do with your mind. The scarecrow represents our need to love God with all our minds. See, the scarecrow thought he needed brains, right? All of them were on their way to the the wonderful land of Oz to meet this great wizard and receive the thing that they thought they were always missing. And what the scarecrow felt he needed were brains because his head was full of straw. But the truth is he was very smart. And he often made up the plans they needed in order to get on their journey. See, here's the deal. This world right now is full of people who think they're smart but are really fools. It's full of people who think they have answers but are really fools. Listen, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 through 20 says, Stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you are wise by this world's standards, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. As the scriptures say, he traps the wise in the snare of their own cleverness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. He knows that they are worthless. You ever just listen to um, little kids on a playground talking? And they'd be saying some dumb stuff. They'd be like, no, you know, you can't. If you touch that, you're going to melt. And you're like, what are you talking about, right? Like they just, they, they come up with some weird little phenomenal things. Like I was watching uh, this one commercial. It only, I don't know if it was like the only time I saw it, but it was one commercial one time where this mom was doing her laundry and she saw her two little boys. They were like five and six and they were in their room and they were counting the money in their piggy bank. And they go, wow, look at all this money. What are we going to buy? Candies? Toys? And his brother's like, no, dummy, we're going to buy OB tampons. And he's like, what? Haven't you seen the commercials? With OB tampons, you can go bicycle riding, horseback riding, swimming. And everyone's like, ugh. And the mom fell on the floor laughing. I like that only the girls got that joke. The boy's like, what? <laughs> Listen, there are times where your mind thinks it got it figured out. You think you got it especially at your age. The problem with your age is you know everything. And when you know everything, no one can teach you nothing. And so because you know everything, there are things about God that you in your own mind go, well, that doesn't make sense. And suddenly because it doesn't make sense to you, you dismiss it. That doesn't make sense. How could God do that? How could God be here, be everywhere? How can We start looking at things that we're unable to comprehend, and we often struggle with loving God with our whole mind because we don't fully understand God. Listen, if you could fully understand God, that's way too small of a God. I don't want a God that I could fully understand. If everything about God was so easily encapsulated, then we are beyond God. We live in a world where if things can't be explained or understood, then we dismiss it. Yet the world is full of things that we don't understand. 
did you realize that uh, with all the research that is done, we still don't understand scientifically why you need to sleep? We don't know. There's no real answer to it. You ask any sleepologist, go Google it, look on YouTube, why do we need to sleep? They don't know. They know the benefits of sleep. They know what happens if you don't sleep. But they don't know why the body has to sleep. With all the understanding and science and research that we've done, we don't fully understand human consciousness. We understand synopsises. We understand how, how nerves work. We understand how there's rapid firing of, of different signals in the brain. But human consciousness, we, don't, we haven't fully been able to understand that. Most of us in this room, if you're honest, you don't understand how Wi-Fi works. Not all the ins and outs of it, right? You don't understand the, the actual um, aspects that go into having Wi-Fi and you being able to get Wi-Fi. But that doesn't mean that we should stop sleeping. It doesn't mean that we ignore our consciousness. And it doesn't mean that we get off Wi-Fi. <laughs> Just because you don't understand doesn't mean you can't receive. The same way you don't understand Wi-Fi doesn't stop you from asking somebody, what's the Wi-Fi password? Because you don't need to understand how to get it or how it's made. You just need to get it. You need to receive it. There are some things with God that I'll never understand. But I don't need to understand. As long as he's willing to give to me. I don't understand why God would love me. As messed up as I've been. As much as I've failed. I don't understand why God would love me, but I'm not going to try to talk him out of it either. I'm willing to receive it as long as God's willing to give it. Sometimes we just got to get out of our own heads. Because if you did that with everything, you'd end up one of those people with a tin hat on their heads, crawled in a corner, freaking out, bleeding out their nose because they don't understand the way the world works. Listen, sometimes I don't need to understand how on earth Signals go through satellites in space and land in my television and allow me to see live sports that are happening on the other side of the country. I just want to know if he's going to hit the last shot. Get out of your heads and give it to God and love him with all your mind, even the parts of your mind that don't understand. I don't need to understand all the details to experience all the benefits. I never fully understand God in my mind, but that won't stop me from loving him with all of it. Meaning my relationship with God goes beyond an emotional reaction. When you love God with your mind, it means your entire life is shaped and based on my understanding of God's word. That's why Romans 12.2 talks about do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to see what God's plan is for your life. His good, pleasing, and perfect plan. When? When you give him your mind. When you hand it over. Surrendering my thoughts to Christ's will. Some of you have such a hard time loving yourselves because of the battle that's going on in your mind. And what I'm telling you is when you give that thought over to God, when you're struggling because you feel so unattractive, give that thought to God. Allow God's word to speak to how you look. Allow God's word to remind you that you were fearfully and wonderfully made, that you were his masterpiece. Allow God's word to explain how utterly perfect you really are because of the uniqueness of who you are. There is no one ever like you and there will never be anyone else like you. You are timeless in history. 
The Bible says that I take my thoughts and I capture them and I submit them to Christ. In other words, I say, God, here's a thought I'm having. I don't like it. What do you say about it? And God will be the one to tell you, that's a lie. That's not what I intended for you. That's not who you are. The scarecrow may seem like a fool, but he had brains after all. The tin man, he represents the heart. The tin man to me represents loving God with all your heart. Now, loving God with all your heart means God is the source and the object of your greatest desire and passions. You are completely devoted, and his purpose directs every area of your life. Not because you have to, but your heart can't help but respond to God's heart. See, you can't love God with all your heart when someone else also has your heart. Two people can't own the same thing. Right? Like if, if you have a dog, then your, your best friend across town can't have the same dog. One of you owns the dog. Oh, we share the dog. Nuh-uh, so that's somebody's dog. It lives with somebody. It feeds off somebody. It belongs to one. The problem is we try to share our heart between God and other things, other people, other passions, other desires. And God said, no, no, no. Love me with all your heart, and I'll filter all the other desires of your heart. If you look at the tin man in the story, he was created to cut down wood, and he was faithful in doing his job even when it started to rain. Now, anyone else made of tin would have seen the rain and left because they understood this is not a good situation for me, but he kept doing what he was made to do despite the danger. See, many of us love God until the rain starts. A lot of us love God as long as everything's going nice. As long as the sun is shining, I get what I want, God listens and does what I say, I love God. But the second the rain starts to pour, suddenly, maybe God doesn't get all my affection anymore. See, Paul was a man who loved God with his whole heart. He went through more persecution than any of us could ever imagine. And even when word came that if Paul were to go to Jerusalem, he would be captured and killed, he went anyway. Listen, Acts chapter 21, verse 12 through 14. When he heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But he said, why all this weeping? You are breaking my heart. I'm not ready, uh, I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. When it was clear that he couldn't persuade him, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. See, anyone can love God when it's convenient to you. Loving God with all your heart, it's easy to worship when everything's going well in your life. When everything's going the way you wanted it to go. But think about how many of us stop worshiping God because things aren't going well. You don't say it out loud, but what you're trying to say in that moment is, right now, God, you're not worthy of my praise. As if God was ever not worthy of our praise. God is always worthy of our praise. But oftentimes, we treat it based on the affection or the effect of our heart. To love God completely means no matter the circumstance and no matter the situation, God, you have my heart. I think about this now with my family. My daughter, she is a part of my heart too. God has both of us. And I know within my own daughter that I would give anything for her to be okay. Do you love God that much? Do you love God enough 
that if your friends were starting to pull you away, you would choose God over your friends? Do you love God enough that if a habit were starting to pull you away, you would choose God over that habit? Do you love God enough that if anything were to interfere in your relationship, think about this. Some of us, and we know people, even if it's not you, we've seen people that have turned on you at the drop of a dime because you don't like their boyfriend or their girlfriend. Best friends for years. I don't like the way he talks to you. I don't like the way your eyes look. It's like, damn, you got to come at my eyes? <laughs> Why? Because that person has their heart. What would happen if God really had your heart? What would be different about your life if you love God completely with your heart? Imagine what God could do through you if you only had some heart. Which brings me to the third one, the lion. The lion represents strength. The lion represented courage, right? If you look at the lion, he was looking for some courage. He was looking for some boldness. He was looking uh, to be brave. Well, that reminds me of Joshua in the Bible. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, over and over again in this chapter, God has to reiterate something to Joshua. And he tells him the same thing. He says, this is my command. It's not a request. It's not a suggestion. It's not think about this, Joshua. Maybe you should consider. It's no, Joshua. Here is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I'll be honest with you. Christians in general, not in your age, but in general in today's world, often struggle with courage. Often struggle with courage. We back down at the sight of being humiliated, at the sight of somebody laughing at us. Sometimes we don't have enough courage to love God out loud. We want a secret relationship with God. One that's quiet between me and God. Could you imagine that, right? Like, like if you, the love of your life, this beautiful guy, this beautiful girl, finally says, hey, I want to be with you, but you got to be my secret girlfriend. Like, I, no one could ever know about you, ever. And I can never publicly have any kind of, I can't even acknowledge you in public. Now, listen, some of us would be like, okay. <laughs> but very few of us would put up with that. Very few of us would say, yeah, I have no problem. Why? Because it devalues who you are when someone only wants you when they want you. Listen, we got to have some courage when it comes to loving God. What does that mean? That means people should know you're a Christian. That means you should be willing to be vocal about your faith. I, I read the other day where, you know, you get people, old people usually, like, we need to get prayer back in schools. And I'm sitting there going, when did they get prayer out of schools? Who's going to stop you from praying? What, is your teacher going to, like, shut your brain off? Like, how can they, st you can't stop me from praying. You can shut my mouth, but you can't stop me from praying. You can shut down my body, and my spirit can still pray. Prayer is still in schools if you bring it. The reason prayer is not in school is because the Christians in school, quite honestly, are cowards. You're more worried about your reputation. You're more worried about what people think about you. You're more worried about how people treat you. You're more worried about looking hypocritical because you don't live up to the standard of a Christian in school. And so instead of looking hypocritical, you'd rather be quiet about it. And you have this secret relationship with God. You know what God says about secret relationships? 
He says, deny me before man. Pretend you don't know me in front of each other. And I'll deny you before my father in heaven. Because we can't get to heaven if not through Jesus. So Jesus says, go ahead, ignore me here. Because when you stand before God, I'm going to pretend like I don't know you. Sometimes we don't have enough courage to love God. We're too afraid of what people say, of what others may react, of how it will affect our social life. We got to get beyond that. And we got to have enough courage to say, I love God. I don't care what people think. I love God. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. But I love God with all my heart. Enough to put me on blast if you want to put me on blast. Enough that if you want to laugh at me, you can laugh at me. If you don't want to be my friend no more, then you don't have to be my friend no more. But I'm choosing God because I love him completely, even with the parts of me that are afraid. And the last part is Dorothy. Dorothy to me represents the soul. The soul is the part of you that makes up your spirit and your desire for God. Every one of you, before you said yes to Jesus, there was a moment, there was a part of you that recognized this God-shaped hole in your life. This part of you that yearned to reconnect with the Lord. Everyone is born with that. We try to fill it with a bunch of other stuff. We try to fill it with the things in this world, with, with partying and relationships and drugs and, and success in life. We, we try to fill that God-shaped hole with a lot of other things. But it can only be filled by one. It's God-shaped for a reason. Only God can fill it. And the problem that we're having is we have this God-shaped hole that we're not filling with God, and yet it still desires God. What did Dorothy want more than anything else? She wanted to go home. Listen, there's a part of you in your soul that just wants to go home to the Lord. That part of you that says, I need to be reconnected to the Lord. I want to go home. And those of you who have said yes to Jesus have the security of knowing one day you will. But even now, you get to experience the presence of the Lord. Listen, to love God with all your soul, Psalm 42 says it great. It says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? What is he saying? He said, I'm not thirsty for a relationship with you. I'm thirsty for a relationship with God. Literally, my body thirsts to be reconnected to God. My, my body aches to be reconnected to God. My spirit yearns to be reconnected to the Lord. When you love God with all your soul and you forget to do your devos, you start to feel it. There's a party where you go, something's not right. It's the same party that realized, man, I haven't eaten all day. <laughs> when you love God with all your soul, it's hard to miss church because there's a yearning to connect with God's people. There's a yearning to collectively be with the Lord. When you love God with all your soul, it's not taxing to read your Bible. It's not, oh, I can't believe I got to do that. It's, man, I can't wait to see the Lord speak into my heart as I open up these chapters and he reads my mail as if he was standing right in front of me. When you love God with all your soul, you're not sitting there waiting for somebody else to recognize you because nobody else matters. Because you have the very thing that your soul was built to connect to. 
when you love God with all your soul, your ultimate desire is not to build a life here, but to reconnect to the Lord. The scriptures tell us that we're an alien on this planet. We don't belong here. That our home is in heaven. That's why sometimes it feels like you're an outcast. Because you don't belong here. This is not your final destination. This is not who God called you to be. Your lifespan compared to eternity is microscopic. And there is a part that's built in every human being who desires to just go home. Worship team, if you can help me out. Now here's what I thought about as I was looking all over this. Jesus is asking us to love God completely. And you know what I love about the Lord is that he never asks anything of you that he isn't willing to do himself. Part of the story of Jesus is to be the ultimate example of what it means to live for God. Jesus and everything he did set the tone and set the example, including loving completely. You see, he was able to show us what it means to love completely when he was on the cross. He loved us with his mind. In the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he was captured, he stood there and knelt down, I should say, and prayed. And he asked the Lord, he said, God, if it's your will, take this cup of suffering away from me. In other words, mentally, he understood what he was about to go through, and it freaked him out. It scared him. You're like, but he's God. Yeah, he was also 100% man. And in his mind, he examined and he looked at everything that was going to happen. And for a moment, he asked God, God, would you be willing to pass this along to somebody else? But he quickly followed that up with this, but not my will, your will be done. What does that tell me? He mentally understood what he was about to go through, but he also mentally made a choice to choose God first and to love you first. He says, I know what I'm going to go through, but he thought about you. Well, how do I know he thought about us? The Bible tells us that the reason he was able to endure the cross was for the joy set before him, the scriptures say. That it was the joy set before him. What does that mean? It means he saw your face in 2020 in his mind's eye and said, they're worth it. That's the joy he had of knowing that he can reconcile humanity to himself. He loved you with all his heart. He loved you with all his heart by enduring on the cross until death. See, it's easy to assume what will happen, right? It's easy in his mind to visualize everything that they were going to do to him. But the moment they put those nails in his hand and nailed his feet, those moments where they were whipping his back and literally ripping the flesh off his back, those moments where he laid there on the cross completely naked, hung in front of everybody. I don't know about you, I would have jumped off. Being God, I would have said, no, not worth it. Kill everybody, destroy the planet, I'm going home. You and I wouldn't have endured it. But he loved us with all his heart. Enough that he was willing to endure the cross. See, when I say endure the cross, I don't mean just go on it. He went through the whole process. And it wasn't a five-minute process. It was hours and hours of agony and suffering and humiliation. 
He loved us with all his strength when he had the courage of enduring the cross publicly while the very people he was dying for laughed and cursed his name. Look at that. The real strength of God in that moment was the fact that he restrained himself from ending the world with one word. Think about that. Almighty God on that cross, while the very people he was doing it for are laughing at him, are cursing at him, are walking away from him, true strength was him not coming back at them. True strength was him not saying, screw this, it's not worth it, kill everybody. Anybody can throw a punch, but real strength is not throwing one back. Jesus showed ultimate strength and not getting revenge on the whole world for what they were doing to him in that very moment. And then he loved us with all his soul. Jesus showed he loved us with all his soul when Christ committed his spirit to the Lord and defeated death by going through it. All so that you and I can go home together with him. The final things he was saying when he looked up to heaven, he said, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus had to die and go through death in order to ultimately defeat it so that you and I would be able to experience eternal life in Jesus' name. Why? Because he loves you completely. He loves you completely. So my question for you tonight is what part of your being are you not loving him back with? What part of you are you still holding out? Maybe for some of you, it's your mind. You just, you're too into it. You, you can't get out of your own head. There's too many things that you don't fully understand. And, and by the way, 90% of those things, those answers are in the Bible. So don't tell me, well, I don't believe in God because I don't understand him. Well, you don't take the time to try to understand him either. Some of you, it's, it's your spirit, your soul. You've tried to fulfill that desire with all other types of things and and you tried to numb that with alcohol and drugs and relationships and TV and, and thoughts and even homework. Like you just distract yourself with all these other things so that you don't feel that yearning for the Lord. Some of you, it's the lack of courage. You're Christian cowards. You don't live the life enough to live it out loud. And so you live it quietly. Whatever it is, you need to decide, am I going to choose to love God in that area? And listen, it's not more effort. It's just a decision to do it. And you may not be perfect tonight, but it's a decision to love God more today than you ever did. And to hand over those areas where you've been holding back. So I'm asking you to stand right where you're at. We're going to get ready to close out. But I want you to bow your head for a moment and close your eyes. And in a moment, I'm going to pray for the Christian. Those of you who've already said yes to Jesus and you already have a relationship with him. But before I do, I'm going to talk to those of you in this room who you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're not even really sure what that means. 
And again, briefly, I'll explain it. Because of sin, you have been separated spiritually from God. And what God did on the cross enabled you to now reconnect with God spiritually. And so the Bible makes it clear. He did all the heavy lifting. So if you want to accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, that all you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord and you can be saved. This is a personal decision. This isn't a commitment to a building or an organization. It's starting a relationship with the one who died to have a relationship with you. So with every head bow, every eye closed, nobody looking around, if there's anyone here who would say, Pastor, that's me. I, I've never said that prayer. I've never made that decision. But I understand that part of my soul was yearning tonight. And I want to fill it with that. If there's anyone here who would say, Pastor, that's me, just lift up your hand. I want to pray for you. Anyone here? Awesome. Then I'm going to assume the rest of us are part of that family. So here's your question. I want you again, while your eyes are closed, look into your heart. Look into yourself. What part of your love for God is not complete? What part of your love for God are you lacking in? Why don't you love God completely right now? Is it your mind? Is it your heart, your soul, your body? What part have you not given to God? And as I was speaking, the Holy Spirit was just tapping at your heart going, that's you. He's talking about you. And if you're willing to admit there's a part, then again, I just want you to lift up your hand and I'm going to include you in this prayer. If that's you, just lift it up. Awesome. I'm going to include you, but whatever that is for you, you bring that to the Lord as well. Heavenly Father, Lord, you see every hand that's raised. And God, I thank you that they raised that hand, not simply out of conviction for lack of love, but respond to your love. God, you loved us completely. Your word says that you loved us first. And so, God, I pray even now as they lifted up that hand that it's a response to your love, God. And God, I pray that you help us to love you better in the areas that we're not loving you to love you better with our hearts, God, to make sure that our courage is fully devoted to you and our strength, to make sure that our minds are being transformed by the renewing of your word, to make sure that our soul is being quenched in its thirst for you, God. Lord, I pray that every aspect of our being, everything that makes us who we are, would be fully devoted to loving you, God. And Lord, I pray that we would have no other love before you, no object, no person, no situation, no dream, nothing that would ever come between our relationship with you. Lord, your word reminds us to seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added. Lord, we know that all those other things will come if it's your will, but God, help us to always make you the priority, God. And Lord, I pray if at any moment in our lives we begin to lack in one of those areas, may your Holy Spirit convict us. May it nudge us and remind us to be fully devoted as you are fully devoted to us. So we thank you, Lord, for this word. We thank you, Lord, for the reminder, God. And, Lord, I pray that not just now but in the next few days and over the next years and throughout our lives, we would respond by loving you completely. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Listen, church. 
I want to encourage you, come back tomorrow for small groups. Sign up for spring break where registration is open. And again, if anybody feels called to a life of missions, come and talk to me, and I'd love to get you in contact with my wife. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you tomorrow.